I woke up this morning and looked out the window and clouds and rain. It's, it's back. Really? Well, the rest of us were like, ugh. But then getting to walk into a place like this and just celebrate and sing. I was standing up here worshiping and just hearing your voices and hearing you praise was just so encouraging. Um, it's really good to be with you. My name is Adam. I'm uh, one of the, the pastors here. And uh, it's just a joy to, to celebrate. And, and <clears throat> whenever we come on a, on a Sunday like this and we gather together, there, there's just an expectation of what God might do. Man, when we gather together and, and bring our faith together and look towards him, we can expect him to show up and do amazing things, to heal, to forgive, to make new. And uh, so I just want to invite you to lean in with your expectation. Um, Maya read a passage that we're going to be looking at today. And it's a passage of absolute, unapologetic hope of our, of our Savior and our Lord. And um, so we're, we're going to dive back into the, the book of Hebrews. We've been in a teaching called Better Things. And uh, walking through the book of Hebrews, some have called the book of better things. And it's a book um, that, is, that is convincing its readers and us why Jesus ultimately is the better thing. No matter what we compare him to, no matter what lifestyle we compare him to, he, he ultimately is the better thing. Um, the book of Hebrews is, is rich with theology, and, and we're learning a lot about this, this God that we follow, but it also leads us to a, a, a really personal and true connection with, with Jesus. And the passage that we're reading today, that is, that's very true. Um, so I, I actually want to just pray for us for a moment, and then, uh, then we're going to dive in. Um, Jesus, I, I have a bold prayer. I pray as we, uh, as we read these words about you and this way that you've invited us to see you and to know you, I ask that we would be transformed. I pray that we would see you with fresh eyes, with a redeemed heart, to put more confidence and trust in you. Lord, that we would walk from this place with peace and joy because we are more fully seeing who you are. And we thank you, we thank you for your word that it's truth and it's powerful. And we worship you today in your name. Amen. Um, so a week or two ago, I was, uh, I was spending some time on YouTube. It's very productive. And I was watching just different videos, and this one caught my eye, and it was kind of this psychological test on kids, which interests me. Um, and the, the whole premise of this, this test was to test the, the patience of kids if they could withstand um, temptation for something better later. And, and, and how they did this, they set up a room with a table and, and the kid would come in and someone would come and it would bring them a plate with a gigantic uh, marshmallow on it. And they would say, this is your marshmallow. You can do whatever you want with it. It's yours to eat. You can take it home. You can keep it. You can throw it away. It, it's your marshmallow. You can do whatever you want. But if, if you are willing to wait for 10 minutes to not eat it for 10 minutes, just let it sit there, we'll give you another marshmallow. And the economy of marshmallows, too, is the better thing, right? We, we get this. It's, it's better than one. And, and so um, they're going to leave these kids alone without a timer. They don't know. And they're, they're young kids. They're like four and five. And they leave them alone um, to sit with their, their uh, marshmallow. Now, some of the kids, their personalities just boil to the, the surface. Some of the kids, no sooner did the person walk out that they just gobble it. Like, they just embrace it. This is who I am. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to eat it now. This is what I want. Um, and then there's a few kids on the other side who it, it was obviously not even tempting for them. They eat oat bran granola for a snack or something, and 
We wouldn't even consider eating this. But, but for the vast majority of them, they, they had to grapple with temptation. Do I wait for the better thing or, or do I go for the thing that's right in front of me? The instant gratification, the simple thing. And, and it was fascinating to watch um, all these kids, the vast majority of them, they didn't make it. They, they would make it a few minutes. And it, it was just too much and they would eat it. And one poor kid made it after nine minutes and I'm rooting for him. I'm like, you got this, come on, hold tight. He couldn't make it, he gobbled it up. And it's this, this temptation of, of not waiting for the better thing or, or, or not holding out for the better thing, but, but reaching for what is most convenient, what is easy, what's in front of us, what brings instant gratification. And, and as, I, as I think about the book of Hebrews and I think about this, this author who is convincing us over and over again that, that Jesus is the better thing, I'm, I'm all too aware that, that in my own life, I often choose something that's not the better thing. I often choose the thing that's right in front of me, that's instant gratification, the thing that's simple, the thing that, that I know, the thing that I want. And, 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 and the question is then, how, how does Jesus meet us in that place? How does Jesus meet us when the better thing, him, is presented and, and we choose something else? This passage that we're going to look at, it, it, it invites us to see Jesus in a way um, with, with, with this title, with this, this calling that he has that invites us to see how he meets us in this place of our brokenness when we don't choose the better thing. Um, so if you have a Bible, we're going to start um, in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read the last three verses of this chapter and then a handful of verses into chapter 5. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the, the shelves on the sides and it's going to be up on the screen. But, but it says this, starting in 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. It continues in chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he is called by God just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is, is our high priest. As I mentioned before, the, the, the book of Hebrews is uh, steeped with rich theology, and it's, it's connected to this ancient culture that, that, that the Hebrews have. And, and so we have to realize and, and, and walk through what this would have meant for them, what's true for them, what's, what's true for us now, and what's, what's really true forever. And, and to really wrap our minds around that, we have to understand what, what they mean when this author uses the word priest. Now, for us, um, that word might mean a lot of different things. If, if you grew up in a, a non-religious context, that's probably just some random title of something far away. 
Um, if you grew up in a, in a Christian environment that uses different language, like, like mine, we, we, the church I grew up in used the word pastor. We, I didn't really know of any priests. And, and maybe you grew up in a tradition that, that used the word priest, and, and that might mean something great. It might not mean something great. But, but setting aside all those definitions, this, this meant something very specific for the people of Hebrews. We've talked about as they've become a people and, and they found themselves enslaved in, in Egypt and, and God rose up a leader named Moses to lead them out of Egypt into their land and, and he gives them a covenant and he gives them the law. And the law is this, this code of conduct, this way that they're gonna behave as God's representation on the, in the world and, and this covenant of being God's people. And, and as this is being established, a priesthood is being established as well. Aaron, who is the, the brother of Moses, is called to be the, the, the first high priest. And, and, and the priesthood had really two functions. Um, one, they, they uh, act as reps for the people before God. Um, they, they would mediate and, and, and come before God in, in representation of all of the people there, um, come to bring sacrifices for forgiveness and to lead them into worship. And the other function they had was, was to serve the people. And they served in a lot of different ways, some, some kind of lofty and some very practical. Um, they, they served as judges at times. Uh, they did real practical things like coming into homes and investigating mold to see if a home could be restored or if it had to be burned. Um, they had to examine people's sores and rashes to see what was going on with their bodies. I am so glad that's not part of our <laughs> modern day clergy. I would need a new profession. But they served. They, they, they were with the people. They weren't set apart. They were there. They were with them. They served them. And they act as, as a mediator between them and, and this, this holy God. And then the role of the great high priest, who the first was, was Aaron, Moses' brother, his role was, was to come into this, this, this temple. And their, their temple at this time was, was portable. It was rods and curtains. And, and uh, they would have to tear it down and move it and set it back up again. And everyone who's here from Mosaic North, they remember that all too well. Um, but in, in, in this temple, there, there were different layers and levels, um, and, and only certain people could go into certain areas. And, and at the center of this temple was a space called the Holy of Holies. And in this space, um, it contained the, the Ark of the Covenant, which we read about um, the Ark of the Covenant. God gave them designs to build this, this chest, and, and, and what it represented was the presence of God. So in the Holy of Holies is, is the presence of a holy and perfect God. And the system was that, that on the Day of Atonement, this, this one day a year, the great high priest would, would first make sacrifice for himself because he, he also is a, a broken and, and prone to, to human weakness. And then he would make a sacrifice and go before God in, in, in the Holy of Holies to represent all of the people there. And, and this is the system. This is the beginning of, of, of this, this Hebrew movement of their faith. And, and this is how God related with people at that time. And, and, and we can see where it's, it's kind of a flawed system. There's this law, this code of conduct that, that none of these people are, are able to live up to because of their, their brokenness and their inherent humanity. And, and, and the, the ways by, by which they become right before God, it requires this person to go before God in the presence of God and to, to ask for forgiveness for this nation. But, but this person himself is, is broken. It says in Hebrews uh, verse 2 that, that this high priest, he deals gently with our ignorance and those going astray because of his own weakness. That, that, that he's an insufficient leader. Um, I find myself again this fall uh, coaching soccer again. And uh, this is the second time I've done it, and I wasn't good at the first time either. I don't really know a lot about soccer. Um, I didn't play it really growing up, and uh, I don't 
just follow it that much. And I know this is blasphemous in Portland. I'm sorry. But um, I'm coaching again, not because I want to, but out of necessity. My, my daughter has Jedi powers and can make me do what she wants to do. And they didn't have a coach. And so I, I said, sure. And, and the last time I coached, they were younger. They were like seven. And, and they kind of just run around on the field. And if you just keep them on the field and keep them alive, you're winning as a coach. That's, that's really it. This, this go around, it's different. It's U10 girls and, and they have positions and we have a goalie and there's all these terms and things and, and I'm Googling this on our first day of practice. I don't, I'm not sure. And, and in our first game, we, we keep getting penalized over and over again for this same thing called offsides. And at halftime, the girls come to me because I'm their coach. I'm training them how to play soccer. I said, coach, what, what are we doing? What's offsides? I was like, I have no idea. The, the center didn't snap the ball or something. I, I don't know. Just don't do it anymore. And it, it's a great picture of insufficient leadership, right? I'm supposed to be helping them, and, and I have this deficit myself. And, and this high priest was coming before this holy God to represent humanity, and yet he himself was broken, was in need of forgiveness, was in need of, of being made new. And so the, the, the system is insufficient. And yet Jesus is the better high priest. Jesus is the better Aaron. What does it mean for us for Jesus to be our high priest? Why does that matter? He's, he's our savior. means he saves our soul. He's our Messiah. He teaches and disciples us. Why does it matter that, that he is our high priest, that, that he mediates for us and that he cares for us? I want to go back to Hebrews where we are reading. And uh, we, we started in verse 14. I actually want to step back one verse to, to verse 13. It says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give an account. Those are some of the heaviest words in Scripture. Those words are speaking to the greatness and magnitude of God and speaking to our our disposition in front of him, that we are completely open and laid bare and must give an account. The, the closest thing I can think of that I've experienced with this is, is going to a, a dermatologist. I don't know if you've had this pleasure yet, but, but essentially someone looks at all the broken parts of your body, all the weird parts that you would usually just like to put a shirt on and, and keep to yourself. And, and when you're there, they're about this far away from you with a magnifying glass and you're just it's this really awkward, vulnerable experience where, where I'm just bare and, and I can do nothing to hide. And, and this text is telling us that, that every single one of us, every one of us are there before our Father. Everything's out. Every thought, every unction, every action, it's all there. He sees it. It's not hidden. I, I can't be calculated. It, it's, it's completely open and bare, and I must give an account for it. So I'm standing before this perfect, holy God, and I'm left short trying to give an account for my frailty and my brokenness. And it's in that that we, we, we start to see this division between divinity that is perfect and holy. The Bible says that, that God is light, and in him is no darkness, and over here is humanity where we're all broken. We're all prone to not choosing the better thing and going our own way and expressing our own will and making mistakes and, and causing pain to people around us. And, and, and so we find ourselves in this place 
we're, 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 we're separate because of who God is. Much of the Bible that's led us to Hebrews is writing about this. In fact, there's a, a place in Job. Um, Job is believed to be the oldest book of the Bible, and um, he is a man that is desperately tested by God. It's, uh, his, his, his story is, is fascinating, and, and as it's, it's at times hard to read, and, and, and he um, unveil, or reveals for us the, the, the challenge in this divinity and humanity, and, and he says this. He's having a conversation with his friends who are trying to help him, and it says, Then Job replied, Indeed, I know that it's true, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wish to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound. His power is vast. Who has resisted him and come out unscathed? He goes on to talk about the majesty of God, how he's created the heavens, how he's done all these things because he's divinity, because he's God. And then at the end of the chapter, he says this. He is not a mere mortal like I like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would not frighten or would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. He says, he recognizes because of who God is, because of his power, no, no person can come before him. No person can outsmart him. No person can, can bring their justice or their righteousness before him because he's holy and he's perfect. And he says, if only there was a mediator. A mediator, by definition, is someone who, who is able to step into both, both truths and both realities and bring, bring connection. He's saying this prophetically. He's saying if only there was a mediator, a sufficient mediator, not, not another broken person, but a sufficient mediator between me and this holy God, I would come to him without fear, without hesitation. And then we read in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. We see Job's plea, this prophetic plea we have come to fruition in the, the, the man, the person of Jesus. We have one God and one mediator, Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. He is the better high priest. And as our high priest, he's with us. We see in the Old Testament that the, that the priests were not sep separated and set apart and living a different life. They, they were in the messiness of the community. In fact, they were present at some of the most vulnerable and broken places of people's lives. When, when their physical bodies are a wreck, when they're in uh, some kind of law debate or their house, are right, the, the, the priests are there and they're present in the messiness of life. Our high priest is present with us. He's not far off. He's here. He cares for us. He wants to be present in our lives. I lead this um, discipleship huddle on, on Tuesday mornings, and there's a handful of us. I think there's six guys, and, and, and um, we've all come together because we, we want to know Jesus more, and, and we want to grow in our faith, and, and periodically throughout a huddle, um, we'll, we'll go to a, a series of questions that kind of just help us identify uh, where we are, kind of a, a spiritual diagnostic test, and 
And these questions um, were about our, our, our character and our involvement with, with our Heavenly Father. Like, what, what does that look like right now? How are we experiencing this and how are we expressing this? And, and as we ran around, we, we each identified a question that we felt like the, the Holy Spirit was leading us to and, and what that meant, what the conclusion was. And for each and every one of us, I journaled it, for each and every one of us, the ultimate desire was to be more aware of Jesus in my life. Throughout the chaos and the craziness of everyday lives, of jobs and lives and plans and bank accounts and everything that demands of us to be more aware of Jesus. And we read in this text that he is our high priest. He is with us. He is present. Even in our brokenness, even in the messy places, he is present. Jesus gives us a lot of promises throughout the New Testament, and, and one that, that just rings true to me, I think about it all the time, is the, the last chapter at the end of Hebrews. He's sending, I mean, the end of Matthew. He's sending his disciples, and he says, I will be with you always. He promises us his presence. Our high priest is with us. We are not alone. We are not forsaken. And our high priest is not just with us, but he's gracious. He's gracious to our weakness. It says in verse 15 that, that he's able to empathize, that he's able to be gracious be, because he knows what it is to be human. He's experienced both divinity and humanity. Jesus was a person. He, he knows the plight of humanity. He knows what it's like to feel hurt, to feel abandoned, to feel rejected. He knows what it's like to love, to have friends and community. He was hated. He was betrayed. He knows what it's like to grieve. He, he knows what it's like to be you and he empathizes, and he's gracious, and he invites us in to bring our full vulnerability before him. To our high priest, to be open, to be authentic, to be vulnerable before him, because he knows what it means to be human. He's present with us, he cares for us, he's gracious towards us, and as our high priest, he mediates for us, to God. So in the, the Old Testament temple, they had the Holy of Holies, and this is the place where divinity and humanity met. It was the place where, where, where mere mortals, where people like you and I could come into the presence of God. But now we have Jesus. Now we have a mediator that can connect both divinity and humanity because he lived as a human, but he did it perfectly as the Son of God. And he mediates for us now. And he brings us into the throne room of God. And he does so and invites us to do so with, with confidence. I just got to be honest. When I read this text, I kind of struggle with that word. Um, part, of, part of my story of, of um, coming to know Jesus and trust him more fully, it, it really begins as a child. I, I grew up in an environment where probably the, the most valiant thing you could do was work hard. That, that's kind of our bread and butter, and that, that whatever life you have is a direct result of how you've worked. And, and if you don't like your life, you need to work more, and if you want to fix things, you need to work on them. And, and, and so it's a system of, of, of contribution and, and reward, and, and I carried that system into my relationship with Jesus. And, and the assumption for me was, if, if I want love from Jesus, if I want acceptance and, and confidence in him, that's something that I have to earn. That's something that I have to work towards. My life needs to look like this. I have to fix this. I have to clean this. And in, 
if you've ever been on that cycle, you know it's this unending cycle of, of, of shame and then self-motivation and trying and then falling short and shame. And it's just this cycle that we can get stuck on. And, and so when I read things about vulnerability and about being open and bare before God, I, I gotta be candid, that's, that's a little hard for me. And yet Jesus says he wants to bring me into the throne room before God with confidence. And what does that confidence look like? What, what does that mean? Because that's not the, the, the mental image is, is me kind of crawling in afraid and, and just begging and groveling for mercy. And, and, and I, I'm not always confident even going into a, a, a relate or a a conversation with a friend or my spouse if I know I've wronged them like there's the confidence doesn't describe that confidence confidence requires trust confidence requires me letting go of my brokenness not owning my brokenness not not uh wearing this as my identity before my father but realizing that Jesus has paid a price for me and so I can step boldly into the presence of God because of my high priest because he's mediated with his own blood for me. So this is our high priest. He cares for us. He's present in our life. He mediates. He mediated for us on the cross, paying for each and every one of us our brokenness and our mistakes so that we as broken people can come before a complete, whole, and true and perfect God with confidence and not with, not with fear. This is our high priest. This is what we're called to, to be confident in front of God, and then as his, as his followers, as his people, as the people who say, Jesus, you are my mediator, you are my high priest, you are my savior, I am following you with my life, we, we then are recruited into his, his priesthood. Listen to what First Peter 2 says. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. He says, you and I, we're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because of our great, great high priest mediating for us, we are now his priesthood. We are now called to declare his goodness and his mercies in this city. We are now called to sing and to celebrate his goodness and his character and his nature. We, we are his priesthood. This morning, we're, we're going to come to the table, and we're going to worship as, as, we, as we do on Sundays when we gather. And um, as you come forward, I, I, I want to put these two words out there for you, um, vulnerability and, and confidence. I know for me, those, those don't seem like they're going the same direction. I, I don't feel co- confidence in moments, or confident in moments of vulnerability, for sure. And when I'm confident, I, I, <laughs> I don't sense a, a, a vulnerability. And, and yet, this is the pathway that our high priest has set for us. We, we just read it in verse 13. We're already laid bare before God. There's no hiding there's no moving around it. He, he sees all, and, and we're required to give an account. We're, we're vulnerable before God, but, but because of our high priest, we can also approach this table with confidence. This table with the, the bread and the juice, it represents his mediation. It represents what he has done for us to be made right before, the king, before, before God. So let's come with vulnerability and with confidence.